0: Good morning everybody, it is awesome to be back, I'm so thankful to be back, let me back it up a little bit more here, am I ringing still, no. nothing out of that one, really, okay, now is something coming out? Okay. All right. Can you hear me over here if I yell? Yes, All right, we'll try that. What? What if they hear me online? On, can they not hear me online? I don't know either. <laughs> Raise your hand if you can hear me online. Okay. Perfect. Thank you so much. I, I'm going to trust by faith that they can hear me. But... Um, no, it's so good to be back. So, so much to tell uh, about this trip. I, I will say though, pray for Michael. He is sick. Um, I, I got a text from Ali this morning that, that he was up all night and I don't know if he's sick to his stomach or, or what it is, but, uh, just pray for him. Um, cause I, I know it, it would take a lot for him not to be here. Uh, especially coming back from a trip. Um, but uh and, and I know what it's like to to be sick after something like that. Uh you know, it, it was extraordinary. I, I always one of the things I miss the most when I'm gone is I miss the worship. I I miss the connection together and worshiping our Lord and Savior. And this morning was was extraordinary uh lord opened my eyes for just just a moment and allowed me to see where we were in worshiping him and and uh it'll be awesome if, if somebody can give me a uh confirmation of this if, if the lord showed you the same thing but but uh, a few times we have been in this room um and and it is i don't know how else to describe it except we just call it his chambers it's not a courtroom it's, uh, the best way it was described to me was it's where, it's where the father likes to hang out <laughs> to use a, a, a modern day uh, slang. But th- this is, this is his living room. I don't know, but the vision that he gave me, the picture that, that I had was, was us as a church just standing before him and just worshiping and, and some were on their knees, some were, had their heads bowed, some were crying, but we were all just engaged in worshiping Him. And it, it's just, it's extraordinary sometimes, cause he, he doesn't, He doesn't open my eyes like that all that often, but when He lets me see that, it, uh, it brings a reality to my worship, that that doesn't, that isn't there without it. If that makes sense, I mean, it, it's it's like when you're talking with someone over the phone versus talking with someone face to face. It's it's just there's an extraordinary difference there. But uh, and and I'm reminded of the the point where <clears throat> it was in the third song. I think that song by Lindy. Mm-hmm. Can't remember, uh, not my will. Is that the one? Huh? Second, yeah. second song. Yeah. What was the third song? Trouble. What was the one that said "Take up my cross"? Not 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 my will. Okay, then it was the second song. <laughs> okay, it was one of the songs. Put it that way. No, but it it was it was uh, just just after. The, so it must have happened in the third song, but, but what was on my mind was that second song where it says, take up your cross. Because I was thinking how so few people in the body of Christ really understand what that means. Alexa and I were talking about this yesterday. I think it was, was it you and I talking about it yesterday? Okay, it was me and somebody. <laughs> I think it was Alexis that I was talking to about this. It might have been Michael on the way home. <laughs> Okay, it was on the way home. <laughs> We're gonna nail this down. It was on the way home from the airport with Jeff. Yes. And and taking thank you. Taking up our cross and what that really means, I don't think I don't think the church, much of the church really understands that. I, I think that's why there's a remnant that God is raising up, this army that He's raising up, because To understand, first of all, we don't take up his cross. We couldn't. right? He already paid for his cross. He took up his own cross. He said, take up your cross. And our cross is not what we make it to be. Our cross is simply his will for our lives. So my cross may be different than your cross. Your cross may be different than your neighbor's cross but it is literally fitting into that puzzle piece that you're made to be. That's taking up your cross. And and the simple existence of saying that I will is how he manifests that in your life. In other words, I say, Lord, your will be done in my life. Have your will in my life. I say that every day, have your will in my life. And so he begins to mold and knead like, just like bread dough and, and mold it and then begin to shape it. and 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 he makes it into the form of that puzzle piece that my life needs to portray, right? That's taking up your cross. It's not the choices you make every day. It is the choice you made in saying yes. Very simply. The rest of that is obedience. When we say, yes, Lord, your will be done, the rest beyond that is simple obedience. Because if you say yes, guess what he's going to do? He's going to show you what to do. He's going to show you what to do, and by faith, he's going to expect you to step into that and to do it. So, that to me, just that thought pattern of, taking up our cross, fitting into that puzzle piece within this local body church to make the whole function, to literally make the whole be a puzzle piece that fits into the bride. See, if any one of those pieces are missing, there's lack. there's, There's a portion missing. So what has to happen, either that person needs to step up in God's will and say, have your will and, and have your will, Father, or God will replace that peace. That's kind of a scary thought, right? He won't replace their salvation, they're saved. They have their ticket to heaven. But rest assured that God will accomplish his will. He has to. Why? Because he promised. He promised he would. He promised he would come again. He promised he would come when the bride is ready. That is a promise that the bride will one day be ready. That's an extraordinary thought. Why? Because it's never happened. From the day that the church was birthed until now, there has never been a ready bride. How do we know that? Because he would have come and got her read and understand the book of the Song of Songs, or in some Bibles it's Song of Solomon. That entire book is about the readied bride. And that he being the bridegroom does not come until that bride is readied. And he he explains in there what that means. So this trip, was extraordinary. First of all, a few weeks ago, before I even booked the tickets, um, because of so much going on here, so much expectation of what God's doing, and and I mean, literally every service coming, and just you know, just like Shannon prayed, I expect it. I expect it. I expect it. Your falling of your Holy Spirit, I expect it. So, so I'm asking Lord, a few weeks ago, Lord, do you want us to still go on this trip? You know, and he said to me, it was extraordinary, um, because he said to me, yes, I want you to go because there's some things you need to do, but you have a very small window in order to do it in. And I'm thinking in my mind, of course, what do, what do we do when we hear from the Lord? First thing we do is we apply everything to us. Right? Everything he said, well, that's about me, so I gotta look at it from my lens, from my perspective, and, and that's exactly what I did. I'm thinking, oh yeah, well, Lord, if you're, if, if you're like, you know, this is happening on Sunday, and, and, and you're coming on Tuesday, then I got Monday, you know. That, that's the thought process I'm having, right? So, so I said, okay, well, Lord, you know, I, I don't fully know then when to book this, but let me book it when I know that they're available on the other end. And so I did and we booked it and we went and, and I have never been to Nigeria in a crazier time. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness, it was nuts. It was nuts because they had just had the national election and, and it was, and in fact yesterday was, was the state elections mm-hmm. and those are way more nuts than the national election, because in the, the Nigerian people, from what I understand, they the national election doesn't impact them like the state elections do. The state elections, the governors control all the money of that state. And so literally, who they put into office in the state is going to determine their financial outcome for the next four years. So it's it's highly contested. It's usually a very hot situation. And you can imagine leading up to it, all of the campaigning and everything going on. And so it was nuts. It was nuts. The the governor we we got in um when did we get in? I think we got in there like what was it Friday? Friday afternoon, I think. We got him Friday afternoon, ready to see him, and he was going to try and see us Friday night. Couldn't see us Friday night, so so on Saturday, um, he was going to try and see us. I think Saturday morning at ten o'clock or whatever it was, and and so that came and went, and we didn't see him. And throughout the day, didn't see him. We did go and see some land on Saturday, which was. It was just complete. Whoever was on the prayer call last night heard Michael praying about this because it was actually very depressing because we went to see this land and it was, it was totally different than what we had wanted, what we had expected. And, and this was, this was what, you know, they had worked on. And so we come back from that and, and, I you know, I, I I'm I'm usually not real forceful, you know, when it comes to things like this, but but I was. And I, I said I said, where was the miscommunication here? Because you know, we came out here with the understanding that you knew what we wanted and you would have some things for us to look at. And and so we we broke it down and we figured out where the breakdown in communication was, but we said, Okay. Just so it's clear, here's what we're looking for, and 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 at this point, I'm I'm dealing with the the commissioner of lands, and um, and so he said okay, and and uh, first of all, they don't work Saturday and Sunday, but he was out there working, and he had his team working in the morning. But he he said okay, first thing Monday, I'll get them working on that. Okay, great, no problem. We we have until uh, when did we leave? We left Friday morning, I think. So we had to leave McCurdy on Thursday. So we had some time. So so the rest of Saturday, we're waiting in our rooms to, uh, to see the governor and didn't see him. All Sunday, waiting in our rooms. All Monday, waiting in our rooms, right? Tuesday morning, okay, he can finally see you 8 o'clock in the morning. No problem. Man, we're ready. 8 o'clock in the morning, we're ready by 7 and waited all day. Waited all day, he couldn't see us. Finally, it comes to Thursday morning. We have to leave at noon, right? It, it, or, or no, it comes to, it was Wednesday night. But I, I'm thinking, you know, okay, we're, we're not going to see. We, we got tomorrow morning. That's all we have. And so, so we texted the, the chief of staff. And, and it's not that they were avoiding us. I mean, literally, he's trying to fit us in because of the campaigning and everything was so intense. I mean the governor was not sleeping. You know, he he was literally working 20 hours a day and he's all over the state, right? So so uh so I'm thinking okay, well tomorrow's our last chance. You know, it's our last chance and and so we get a call and it was about 9:30 at night on Wednesday night and he said the the chief of staff said come over here now. He he can see you sometime after ten. And so we get over there and it's a building I had never been in before and uh go in there and and um uh just waited and we saw him about eleven o'clock. Well what I found out later was this was his home. I, I had never been in his home before and this was his home. I, I assumed it was an office because there were so many people there, but apparently there were security and, and people working, you know, the election process and all that. But we were in his home and, and I sat across from him and I, I said, I said, Governor Orton, I, 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 don't want to take up much of your time. I am just, uh, so thankful that, that you could meet with us. And, and the guy just, he was barely hanging on. I mean, he's just like, <laughs> I felt so, I, I felt like the 20 minutes I was going to take from him, I'd rather him take a nap. <laughs> he was, and cause this, we weren't the last meeting. He was, he was going to be up all night. And this was what Wednesday night and he was gonna go through Saturday through the election. But but we talked for a few minutes. I, I I laid out for him, we met with him for twenty minutes. I laid out with him the things that I wanted. I said, first of all, by this time we had found a piece of land. I think I think it was earlier that day, in fact, we went out to this one place. The place that I had looked at a year and a half ago. Before we even started looking, it was one of the first areas, and I really liked this area, Um, but we couldn't find anything in there that was available that would be a decent price. Because when they find out you're an American, the price goes from like a dollar to ten million dollars, right? It's it's really extraordinary, and and so the only way that we could find something in this area is if the government owned it. Well, they found a piece. It's about ten and a half acres. And, and so, so that morning we went out and saw it, fell in love with it. There's also another, uh, another 10 acres or so behind it that we can acquire. should we decide to do that. But, um, so I told him we found the land. Thank you. You know, we love it. Now we'll, you know, go do the paperwork and all that, that we need to do on it. Um, then I said, and, and by the way, we have a group coming in a month. We have a group coming and it's the biggest group we've ever had go to Nigeria. And, and so I, I, I really need your help. I told him, I told him, you know, we need your help with lodging, we need your help with security, and we need your help with transportation. Because even though I can provide all those things, I can't do it in a manner that would, that would suffice in safety like he could, and and so so he said he said uh, he said okay, he said um, and then I'm talking this whole time. And I said another thing that I'd really like is if we're done with all the paperwork with the land and everything, I'd like to do a ceremony, you know, where we do kind of a ribbon cutting type thing and 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 do that in front of everybody. And I'd like you to be a part of it. And and the whole time he's just listening. I'm little, literally just rattling off my list, mm-hmm. right? And and so I can't remember what was the the last thing. Um, oh, uh, the the last thing I said. I wanted to do an evening of worship, and and like a service. But I want I want it to be where you can come and be a part of it because we're going to celebrate your reelection, and we're going to celebrate what God's going to do in McCurdy, and do in Benway State and And so he's listening to all this, and when i when I was done yeah i wasn't wasn't sure if he was hearing everything or or if he was sleeping. you know sleeping, yeah, um, but at the end he he just rattled down the list of everything I said, and he said yes, 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 and see that's all that the his staff needed to hear. see now I don't need to deal with him anymore on any of this because they got the yes. Now for bringing this team in 3 weeks, which by the way, uh if if the Lord is leading you, I want to encourage you to go to the website and look at the money they're needing to raise because they need to re- they need to continue raising money. We've got to buy tickets here this week. But anyways, though now I can work with the chief of staff on the lodging, on the transportation, right? On the security all these things he's already given a yes to and and i walked out of that michael and i walked out of that meeting about 11:15 or 11:30 whatever it was and went back to our rooms and it was like the lord just said now do you know what i mean by a small window of opportunity see the small window of opportunity wasn't about me wasn't about my schedule It was about the governor's schedule. We're going to have a small window of opportunity available. And by the way, you're not going to know when it is. Just be ready. Because the moment he called, we left. Now, recognize in that fact that we waited a long time. I mean, we waited, I think, like five days. I've never spent more time in that room in all the times that I've been there. I mean, it was like the fourth day Michael finally said, Oh, you know what, I have Netflix. (laughs) Seriously? You're telling me this right now. Okay. But I did have Fox News. So we didn't get to watch Fox News. But but literally we're we're in the we're in the room almost twenty four seven. All we're waiting is to hear. Because we didn't want to leave somewhere and and him say, yes, I can see you, and then we can't get back in time. So we literally flew out there, sat in a room for days, met him for 20 minutes, and then came home and accomplished everything that needed to happen. Everything. <laughs> Amen. So the Lord told me then, He I didn't know what he wanted to do with it exactly, but he said, write down that thought. Write down small window of opportunity. He said, because that's what you're going to talk about on Sunday. I said, okay. So I wrote it down. And last night I began asking him, what, Lord, do you want, how do you want to apply this? Because it was a strong life lesson for me that you wait for the opportunity. You don't get bored. You don't get distracted. You don't start something else. Right? And then it happens. So, how does that apply to our lives? How does that apply to the bride? Let's turn to a passage that we've talked about many, many, many times Revelation 3. 3. There you go. (laughs) This this, uh, thing keeps falling off my ear. You know, it's funny. My shaking has gotten so bad. You should should have watched me trying to get this on my ear. It's like (laughs) trying to get it to stay. I need a stapler. That would probably help. Have... <laughs> yeah, um, Revelation chapter three. What the Lord says here, and we're going to start in to the Church of Philadelphia. We're going to start in verse seven. And by the way, I want to I want to say if if you if you have studied Revelation at all, it's specifically the letter to the churches. Okay, there are there are four different layers, at least four different layers of understanding of these letters, okay? And what I mean is who they're addressed to. Understand that what, what I'm talking of this morning is addressed to that readied bride, okay? It is that bride who has relationship with Jesus Christ, who awaits His return, who longs for it, who seeks it, who simply is waiting for that open window, okay? Verse 7, And Father, just speak through me your words. Lord, take my mouth and do with it what you will. You have my heart, you have my mind, my will, and they are yours in Jesus' name. Verse 7, And to the angels of the church of Philadelphia write, The words of the Holy One, the True One, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. Behold, I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word, and have not, denied my name behold I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not but lie behold I will make them come and bow down before your feet and they will learn that I have loved you we've talked about that before that is verse 9 is a picture of the readied bride that has to happen by the way Before Jesus comes to get His bride, if you go into verse 10, verse 10 is God's promise that His ready bride will not go through the tribulation. Now, understand that the church of Philadelphia was an actual church at that time. Okay, that's one of the layers to understanding this passage. Okay? But it is also meant for the church as a whole. Right? There are churches... Okay, local bodies that encompass this church of Philadelphia. In fact, there are churches in the bride, in those who are saved, there are churches that encompass all seven churches that were written to. That's why God, Jesus, wrote these letters to the churches. And and so, but then there's also a level of understanding where it is written to individuals. See, a church can embody the, the aspects of the church in of Philadelphia, but so can an individual, right? My heart is judged purely by God judging my heart. My heart is not judged based on your heart and vice versa, right? So, so there is a layer of understanding in this letter where it one of these seven churches? We as Christians fit into those categories, you know. And, and it, by the way, I really want to encourage you to study all seven letters and see where you see where you fit in. This is one you're you're going to want to fit into, the Church of Philadelphia. This is the Ready Bride. It says here, I have set before you an open door. No one is able to shut it. No one. That open door is an opportunity. That open door is an opportunity which is explained further in verse 9. And then ultimately in verse 10. You have the opportunity as the bride to fall in love with Jesus Christ, to build relationship with the Father Through Jesus, powered by the Holy Spirit, you have that opportunity. And as the Church of Philadelphia, he even said here, he said, he said, I know in the uh, middle of verse eight, I know that you have but little power and yet you kept my word and have not denied my name. See, it's extraordinary to think of the fact that when a Christian is persecuted, whether it be physically, mentally, whatever, teased, whatever, you know, you're in school, in public school, and you're, you're teased for being a Christian, that's persecuted. But when a Christian is persecuted for being a Christian, for having relationship with Jesus Christ, that verse is applied there. Yet, but with little power, you still didn't deny knowing me. You had no authority in the moment, but you did not back down from saying that you were in love with Jesus Christ. So because of that, I have this open door. I have this open door that on the other side of the door is what we read in verse 9. On the other side of the door is the literal world who does not know Christ recognizing the church that they are loved by God. Let's read it again. Verse 9. Behold, I will make... And this is the open door, guys. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet. And they will learn... That I have loved you. There's a couple things in there to understand. First of all, this is not post-rapture. Verse 10 is the rapture. This is pre-rapture. Also, if we're gone, they can't bow at our feet. Now, now, by the way, the, if you get into the Greek there, it's not, it's not bowing like worship. It is honor. They are honoring the bride because they see that God is their friend. That's an extraordinary statement. People that don't believe in God at all see that people who believe in God are actually favored by God. It, it kind of twists your head a little bit. But that's exactly what's going to happen. Because of the favor poured out on the bride, the world will see his love for them. That's an extraordinary thought. That is an open door. That is the readying of the bride. That is the point at which the bride is ready to become, for God to come and take him. For the bridegroom to come and take him. That is the ready bride. That is the open door. But remember, this small window of opportunity is at a set Period. In God's timing. We don't know it. We can't manipulate it. If they, if they wanted it 2000 years ago when, when the church started, which of course they did, and they didn't know it, it wasn't available to them, but it fell into the history of God's plan. Now we know in the history of God's plan, that he will come back and he will return and carry up his bride. We know that. We know that there will be last days. We know there will be turmoil in last days. We know about tribulation. We know all these things that we can study in Revelation and Daniel and Isaiah and Ezekiel and really literally every book of the Bible. Okay. We know those things. And so many things have come to pass that we know we're at the latter end of that time frame. Now, I'm not going to go down the rabbit hole of, of getting into the eschatology of all that. Although I would encourage you, if you ever want to talk about it, man, let's hang out and talk. Because it's one of my favorite things. But we're right there, guys. We're right there. And, and this open door... Has a requirement that Satan has tried to keep silent for 2,000 years. And that is relationship. I know a new term for you. <laughs> right. I know we talk about it all the time, but that is the open door. Relationship with, with the Father through Jesus Christ came when Jesus Christ Died on the cross. Rose from the grave. How do I know that? Because when He died, the veil was torn. It was torn. The veil between the holy holy place and the holy of holies was torn from the top down. It wasn't a man that tore it. It was God Himself that tore it. That veil was what kept God from man. It was only once a year that the high priest could go in and offer the once-a-year sacrifice before the Father, before His presence. And even then, He went cautiously because it was at the cost of His life if His life was not in order. See, but the second Jesus paid for our sin, the Father ripped that veil. And He said, now... Now they can have relationship with me. Now they can know me because it's through the blood of my son, Jesus Christ. He literally looks at us with a Jesus filter on our lives. And it's because of that blood of Jesus Christ, that filter on our lives, that we can come and we can build relationship with Jesus. And what did Jesus say? He said, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. (laughs) If you are in me, guess what? You're in the Father. Because we're one. That's relationship. Satan, ever since about 200, 200, 300 A.D., he started to put a plan into place that has muddied those waters so effectively. And it's called the church. It's called this, this group of people that form the very system that killed Jesus in the first place. You ever think about that? See, we always think of the Pharisees as, well, those are the unbelievers. Those are, those are the evil unbelievers. You know, and you don't really equate them with loving God. That is absolutely false. They loved God. Look at Paul. Paul was one of the most zealous among them, and he was literally believing what he was doing was of God, opposing Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus met him on the road to Damascus. Say, whoa, you got it wrong. These were zealous men. Now, now, definitely, just like in the church today, there were also corrupt men. There was corruption in that. They were more worried about their power and losing their power than the fact that they could be opposing the Son of God. If you don't believe me, you can read on, I, I believe it's in, in, uh, in the book of Acts. I can't remember what chapter where, where Gamaliel, who was the, the uh, Paul's mentor... He was Pharisee of, of Pharisees who taught Paul. He stood up and said, this was, I think after the second time Peter and John were arrested, something like that. But he, he said, he said, we need to be careful as Pharisees. He said, first of all, if they, uh, it let them go and if this is not of God, it'll die anyways. And he, he listed some other examples of that happening. He said, but if this is of God, he said, we need to be careful because we may be finding ourselves opposing God. But see, Satan began at that time to build this system, this religious system that really relies on works. It relies on what you do for God. It relies on your position instead of relying on relationship. And we talked about it a couple weeks ago, but that's how that... That part formed where the church really looks to the pastor and the pastor's staff, and then they're supposed to look to God, when in reality it's supposed to be all of us accountable on the same level. Right? Satan muddied those waters. Why? Because the second the bride figures out that it is about relationship, and and I mean the bride as a whole, because relationship's always been available ever since Jesus died on the cross. And there are many that have had relationship. Right? Paul certainly had relationship with him. Many have since. But when the general bride figures it out. And it catches fire. That's what Satan doesn't want. Why? Because then the bride will become ready. When the bride becomes ready. It's all academic at that point. Because see. That coincides with. The number of Gentiles. You know, Jesus will not come and, and we won't go into the tribulation or into the time of trouble until the time of the Gentiles and the number of the Gentiles is complete. That's all part of readying the bride. It's not just the number of people that are saved. Understand that. Because that, that's what I used to think well, okay, we, we just need to get more saved, and the more people we get saved, then then we're just adding, 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 eventually we're going to hit that right number, and boom, you know, we're done. Lord comes. But it's not that. I mean, if it was that, then God really made a poor deal. He really did. Because in offering His Son, His only Son, whom He loves beyond anything, in offering Him to change His literal status between him and the Father. Permanently. To offer that just so you could enjoy heaven. What a raw deal. What a terrible deal for him. I mean, you would think he could negotiate better than that. But in reality, that's not what he was after. He was not after saving your skin from fire. Although he wants that. He said, "He said it is his will that none should perish. But what does he want out of it? He wants out of it the very reason he created us in the first place. He wants relationship. He wants what he had with Adam and Eve prior to the fall. What did they do? They walked in the cool of the day and just talked. That's relationship. Spending time. Investing in one another. That relationship was lost the day that Adam took of the fruit. And the possibility because of sin was erased at that point. That's what God said, okay, Satan. He said, you may have bruised his heel, but he's going to crush your head. Because, see, what you don't know is that he's already said yes. He knew this was going to happen and he already said yes. Why? Because he wants relationship with us. That's what God gets out of this deal. And it is an open door until the bride gets that. Until the bride gets it. That's why there's nothing more important... In talking to people, then getting them to understand that they have an opportunity for relationship with God. A real relationship. Sitting down, having coffee, talking to Him. Guess what? He talks back. That's what a relationship is. It's not, let me learn about you, and then one day I'll get to see you in heaven. No, a relationship on on earth is is powered by faith, but it is real. It's real. I never knew that until just, just five or six years ago as the Lord started opening this up to me. But there is an open door right now for the bride. That door is there. That window of opportunity is there. And it's going to take relationship to understand that. Now, we also can miss doors of opportunity. God has doors of opportunity in our lives often. I won't say all the time because they're not all the time. Right? But there are doors of opportunity that come and it's like a test. Boom. Do you pass? Do you fail? That's an opportunity. Every test is a window of opportunity. Right? Right? Let's look at an example where opportunity was lost. I want you to turn to Mark chapter 14. This is the night that Jesus was betrayed. The night he was taken to court and all this. And, and, and right before this was Peter saying to Jesus, I will never forsake you. I will never deny you. I will give my life for you. And so now, Jesus goes, and we're going to start in verse 32, but he goes to this garden area to pray. Verse 32 says, and they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter, James, and John, his inner circle, right? And and Jesus did have an inner circle. And he took those three. Don't ask me why they're the inner circle. I don't know. I mean, except they, they were three of the four that were the first chosen in disciples, but I, I have no idea. Um, one one hint might be that that when when they were reclining at table, the Bible says John was just leaning up against Jesus. See, I think that's a picture of why he was in the inner circle. It wasn't that he was invited to lean up against Jesus. Because he was in the inner circle. I think he was in the inner circle because he leaned into Jesus. And he just wanted relationship with him. So he took with him Peter, James, and John and began to greatly be distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. That's the test. Going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. He said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. By the way, this is an insight into the humanity of Jesus. See, Jesus did not operate as God when he was on this earth. He couldn't, if, if he did, it would have nullified Everything that he came to do. He operated in faith and did the Father's will. He never did his own will. He did the Father's will. But this is an insight into his humanity. Why? Because you're, you're, you're literally seeing... How do, I, how do I say this? Not a break of confidence... But it's kind of like you know the pain that you're about to endure. And it's like, God, I'll do your will. But man, if there is any other way, if there's any other way I cannot go through this and still accomplish the same thing, please, Lord, yet not my will, but yours. So he declared what his will was. He said, my will is to not have to go through this. That's why he said, your will, Father, not mine. It was Jesus' will not to die. It was Jesus' will not to be beaten. It was Jesus' will not to be turned on by the people he loves. And yet he said, not my will, but yours be done. Verse 37, and he came and found them sleeping, those three disciples, and he said to them, Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? You know, in today's slang, it's, it's like he, he goes up and walks up and the three guys are asleep, and he just stands there and goes, seriously? Didn't I just tell you to watch? Didn't I just tell you to pay attention? Verse 38, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy. And they did not know what to answer him. (laughs) Have you ever been through that? It's like, Lord, I will never, I will never, I will never. And then... Moments later, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. See, these are tests, guys. They were being tested there. there. There was a small window of opportunity for them. And he came a third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? He said, It's enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners rise let us be going <clears throat> see my betrayer is at hand what was that window of opportunity that window of opportunity was obedience for those 3 now what would have happened if they would have stayed up and prayed i don't know i don't know we we don't get to see what would have happened in that case i could tell you what i believe would have happened I believe those three would not, certainly Peter, would not have betrayed Jesus. Because I think that was their window. That was their window in saying that I will fight beyond my physical capacity. I will fight for you. Because I know who you are. Which they did. Jesus said, you are the Christ. They knew who he was. They will, they, they had an opportunity to give everything to him, even their own suffering, even their own frailty of not being able to stay awake. And, and, and by the way, I get it. I don't know. I, I don't know how I would have reacted in that. I mean, have you ever been so tired you just can't even keep your eyes open? You know, it, it's, it's really an extraordinary thing to be able to work through that. I've experienced that when, when I went to college. I, I would uh, drive 33 hours from Colorado to Lynchburg. And, and back then, I was too cheap to get a hotel. You know, it's kind of like drive until you can't drive anymore, pull over, sleep a couple hours, drive until you're there. Right? And I remember I'd been driving, I think it was 17 or 18 hours straight. And I was so tired. And, and all the, there's about 45 minutes between, between these, these towns and there was a point where I, I think I glassed over because I had just left a town and all of a sudden I'm at the next town. And I thought, oh, that's not good. <laughs> I'm sure there were curves. Lord, thank you for turning the wheel for me. You know, but you're so tired, you, you, you can't function. I'm sure that's where these guys were. I'm sure. I'm sure. I don't fault them for for not being able to do it. I don't fault them at all. I, I'm, I'm thankful I wasn't put in that position because I would have probably failed as well. However, that was a window of opportunity. That was a window of opportunity for them to be in obedience and say, we're so tired, but Lord... It's your will for us to stay up and pray, so I'm counting on you to keep me awake. See, oftentimes we we don't realize we don't have to carry the burden on our own shoulders. When he tells you to do something, put it back on his shoulders. God, you told me to stay awake. I can't. I need you to help me. I put it back on your shoulders. I literally need you to help me do your will. And what do you think he's going to do? He's going to come through. I don't know. Maybe he'll slap you in the face. Wake up! <laughs> Whatever. I, you know. Can you imagine this hand coming out of nowhere and slapping him in the face? Probably would have woke him up. <laughs> All they had to do was ask. I'm sure God would have slapped him. Right? I'm, I'm, I'm half kidding and half, half truthful. The fact of the matter is that when he tells us to do something, he will always pave a way to do it. It's just we often think in ourselves, okay. Well, this is what I'm going to need to do this, okay? And I, I, could get that. I could get, I could get the first five. The next three are going to be tough, but I'll work it out. No, he said, just give me your list. God says, just give me your list of what you need. Put it on me because I'm the one asking you to do it. But see. To get that window of opportunity, understand it comes at different points in our lives, but you have to be ready for it. When we were in Nigeria, we had to be ready when he was able to see us. We, we couldn't be off looking at land or off doing this or off doing that because the moment he called, we had to go. Isn't that exactly how God works in our lives? You know, he's promised us a lot of things at this church. Nothing more important than he has promised us the falling of the Holy Spirit. Right? But these promises, they're, they're a open window. Now the problem is, it isn't a window that follows us. You know, I just kind of have this window hanging out behind me as I walk. That I could jump through any time. No, because see, God has a specific time, a specific moment, that it is His will to do this. So we have to be ready. Now sometimes, the waiting dissuades us from even believing that there will be a window. Think about that. Sometimes when we sit down and it's not going how we think and, and this window of opportunity that, you know, God's promised and everything up, but it sure doesn't look like that. In fact, it looks just the opposite. And then oftentimes we get discouraged. We get bored. We start looking at other opportunities or other ways. You know, well, this situation just doesn't seem to be panning out how I thought I I need to move on to a new situation. I need to look at it from a different lens. You know, maybe, maybe I misunderstood what God said in the first place. Now, by the way, if you did misunderstand what he... I'm not saying don't go back and get that figured out. But my goodness... When you know what the Lord has said, you hold on to that knowing that at some point I'm going to get in there. I knew, I knew before we left, we would see the governor. Had no idea when. But I knew by faith that God would not bring us all the way there, spend all that money, all that time sitting in that room without Netflix. He wouldn't do that and us not fulfill His will. We just had to leave it in His hands. So we waited. By the way, the waiting can be hard. It can be difficult. It can be boring. It can make you think like, I'm wasting time. This time could be used in so many other things. And then we make ourselves feel better by busying ourselves in those other things. Instead of focusing on what he wants us to focus on, which is him. I'm building that rel I'll tell you right now, the most important thing in your life that you will ever do is build relationship with Jesus Christ. Nothing will ever be more important than that. Nothing. But it takes time. It takes time walking in faith. Recognizing that there's a, there's a window of opportunity coming. I don't know when. I don't even know what necessarily. See, see the disciples here in Gethsemane, they didn't know that was a window of opportunity. They didn't know what it would mean and we don't, by even reading it, we don't know what it would have meant if they would have been obedient. We, we know what happened because they weren't obedient. We do know that. They all, they all betrayed him. They all left. They all denied him. Not just, by the way, not just Peter. There was none that stood up for him in that courtroom. None. The people that were closest to him, his inner circle. Now, I think the word of God points out Peter because Peter was so bold in saying, I will never be careful. What he should have said is, I will never in your strength. Right? Because when we start relying on ourselves, all of a sudden the I will never becomes I will hopefully not. I will possibly not. Oops, I did. <laughs> right? It's only in his strength that we can see these windows of opportunity. I want you to turn to Second Peter. Second Peter chapter three. Second Peter chapter three, we're gonna read verses eight and nine because this, this is something that we get hung up on all the time because, you know, we hear about these windows of opportunity, these windows that are, that have been promised to ignition even, or promised to you individually. These, these promises that you know are out there, you know they're coming, right? You know there's that opportunity and, and we get, I don't want to use the word depressed, because I, I don't think we get depressed. I, I, for myself, you know, the waiting on the Lord is, is probably the toughest thing. You know, when you know things are happening, you know things are coming, and you're just waiting, and, and it just feels stagnant, right? It's like, oh man, I thought this would have happened last year, whatever. Let's start at verse nine, I mean, verse eight. But do not overlook this fact, This one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. Now that, (laughs) if I stopped there, we'd all be depressed, right? We'd say, okay, a thousand years, good night, we got a long time to wait. But verse 9 is what I want to get to. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness. What does that mean? See, the Lord is not slow in coming through on His promises as you think He is. Right? What we think about being in a building. I remember when we started this church, I thought we'd be in a building within three months. So, so, you know, I sit back and the human side of me can be, you know, Lord, it's been four and a half years. You can do things a little quicker. I mean, this is slow. This is slow. But in reality, what's really going on? It's the next part of the verse. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. What he's saying there, let's apply that to us. What he's saying there is, you may think it's slow for me to prepare what I need to prepare, but you have to understand that, that when I get you in a building, there are things that I desire to have happen. And for that to happen, I have to have things put in place. That means people that I'm going to be bringing to you. I have to work through the situation to bring them together. You can imagine the mind of God, it's just extraordinary. If you don't believe in God, then then just think about the fact that all these things come together that seem so random and they work perfect. If that isn't a sign of God, I don't know what is. You know, I I you'd never want to play chess with him.
1: <laughs>
0: but think about what he has to put together. If if I won't even say if, because what he has promised to do in Ignition cannot be done by a few people. It cannot be done by a small group, right? It has to be done with all the, piece, all the pieces of the puzzle coming together. Not, not just 40 or 50 pieces, but all the pieces that are going to make this whole thing happen. So he has to coordinate all of that. And each one has an individual life that he is working with that has this thing called free will. This free will that that decides whether or not they're going to follow the Lord. Whether or not they're going to step in obedience when he speaks. Whether or not they're even going to learn his voice in the first place. So he is this this grand organizer of his will, knowing that I need all these pieces in place before I flip the switch. Because if I flip the switch too early, it can't accomplish my will. So we may look at it and see from our eyes, it seems slow because Well, you know, we could use this for a building, or we could do this, or we could do this and that, and so many things. God, I mean, seriously, so many things we could do. And God's saying, yeah, but you're not seeing what I need you to do. You're not listening to what I need you to accomplish. And what I need you to accomplish has to have so many more things ready. So when he flips that switch, Than those dominoes. We've talked about it like this mosaic that was made out of dominoes. You ever see those? Watch it. Look them up on YouTube. But you know, fifty thousand dominoes, and it just paints this picture of something as they all fall. The first one falls, and it paints this picture, right? So God is the master organizer of these dominoes that are all in a place that will then create this mosaic. If one domino, one domino is out of place, it'll miss. One domino. You ever see those? Yeah. By the way, look up the ones that fail. Gets oh 75%, boom. Oh, it missed it. Kind of ruins the whole thing. See, that's why God's a master planner. That's why he puts things into place that will not fail. That's why when you walk in Him and you do His will and you are obedient to Him, you will not fail. Period. Period. You will accomplish His will. All you have to do is say yes and step. Because He's the one that does it anyways. He's the one that lines up all those dominoes and then hits the first one. When He hits that one, it will be because all of those things have been put into place. Now, we talk about that in terms of the global and, and what he's going to do with ignition and all that, but but it's the same picture with your own life. He lines up things in your own life to accomplish his will. What is his will? His will is to draw closer to you in relationship. So he's going to line up these things in your life, these these open windows of opportunity that will come and go like that. Are we ready for them? Are we ready for those? See, it's important to discern what's going on around you so you can be ready. Let's let's turn last place to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, and I'm just going to start at verse 7. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were in darkness, but now you are the light of the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Verse 10. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful work of darkness, but instead expose them. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Holy Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing, making melody to the Lord with your heart giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. See, what it's saying here is we're to wake up. Wake up and discern the times. Discern those open windows of opportunity. Wake up. So wake up, oh sleeper. Come on, wake up. Wake up and recognize what's around you. Recognize, church, the times at hand. Recognize the relationship that God is standing there with open arms to give you. Recognize it. And recognize what you are supposed to do in that relationship. How He wants to use you to affect others. To be part of that ready bride says discern what is pleasing to the Lord. And then he takes the opposite of that in verse 11 and he says take no part in unfruitful works of darkness but instead expose them. This goes back to the frustration that I have with the pulpits in America today. Pulpits in America want to make you feel good. Why? Because it doesn't offend people that are giving money. You know, there's one good way of getting around that. Don't care about money. Don't care about money. I don't care if you give or not. It will not affect how God provides for me, it will not affect how God provides for this church. He could write me a check from heaven and send it in gold. Who cares? Right? It'll affect you though. It'll affect you. And, and the things of the church are controlled by the church. And, and I'm, I'm talking about the overall church today. It's all about money. It's all about budget. Well, this year we think we can do this, this, and, and by the way, I'm speaking from 25 years experience in church leadership. I, I understand it. Right? And I get it. And I was part of it. This is what we could do this year. We have the budget for this. We're going to work with these missionaries. We can do this outreach and, and and work it all down in that budget. Because we're we're confident that we can have this. I have a different paradigm for you. And by the way, this is exact, you ask any of the elders here, this is exactly what we do. Okay, Lord, what do you want us to do this year? What do you want us to do this month? What do you what do you want us you you want us to take fourteen people to Nigeria? Okay. All right, hey Lord, you need to provide two things the people, the willingness, and the money. That's on you. But we'll walk, we'll step, we'll say yes. Why does the church take out of the Lord's hands what the Lord wants to keep as a responsibility? So instead of exposing the darkness, the church just kind of speaks over it a little bit. I'm sorry, guys. I I love, and and I am going to call it out. I am going to offend. I am. Why? Because Christ was offensive. He was offensive. I I don't mean to offend on purpose. But it's going to happen. You're going to offend. If you're doing God's will, guess what? You're going to offend. Why? Because Christ is offensive. It drives me insane, some of some of these pastors. And, and I am going to mention this one. Because I love Hillsong. I love Hillsong. But when you lose an opportunity like going on The View, which... I don't know that that was the wisest choice anyways, but you have an opportunity before America to expose darkness, to do what the Lord told you to do. And you flower it and sugarcoat it. So it will not, and and I don't want to assume his motivation. I'm not going to assume his motivation, but what I will say is what he did was wrong because he did not say what God said. Now look at the flip side of that. Look at, at Jerry Jr. and Becky Falwell. That this past week at the CPAC, I think it was a week ago. I don't know, I kind of lost stuff when I went to Nigeria. But might have been the week before that at CPAC. And and they did a speech and, they, and, and Becky Falwell was talking about her daughter was born as a girl. And guess what? They're going to raise her as a girl. It's not going to be her choice, because that's how God made her. She took so much flack for that. Not not just, I mean, national flack, which, okay, you're going to expect that. But she took flack at, the, at her own school, which i got to say, I, I would just really love to know who. Because that's the school I graduated from, and I'd like to just talk to them. Just talk. But really, really, she did what was right. She exposed darkness. You see a trend now, and I'm loving this. I'm loving this because for 30 years, it has been a trend about abortion being, being okay. Now you're starting to see a trend of people speaking out and saying abortion is wrong. And praise God for some states now that have stepped up and at least made late term abortions illegal. And and someone was telling me yesterday. Alabama outlawed. Yeah, no, there, there was there was a story yesterday that I thought that's gonna go to the Supreme Court. Alabama. I can't remember what Yes, 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 it was was the father that was fighting for the fact that he had no choice in his child being aborted. That's going to go to the Supreme Court. So you're starting to see people stand up. You're starting to see the bride stand up. Right? And expose darkness. If we ever want change, you can't be afraid to get in the mud. You can't spend your life going to a place where you're not challenged. What did Jesus do? Well, they they hated him for it. He hung out with sinners. He hung out with prostitutes. He loved people. Now, why did he do that, by the way? He did that because that was God's will. I'm not saying go hang out at the bar. I'm saying do what God tells you to do, and trust me, he will send you to places that will be uncomfortable for you. It will be uncomfortable for people going, in, going to Nigeria in three weeks. Especially if you've never been. Hope you like chicken and it's good it really is i love it i love the staff there they're awesome but you know the first time you go you know you just have this unknown not sure how to take this feeling you know god's going to put you in those positions not just once how about the rest of your life He's going to put you there over and over and over again. Why? Because if you say yes, He's going to use you, and that's where He needs to use you. He needs that light to expose darkness. That light exposes the darkness. And He he says that, that when any of that becomes visible, then it is light. It's because of light that makes it visible in the first place. That's why on the prayer call we pray, Lord, shine your light in the darkest places of this country. Shine your light in the darkest places of your bride. What do you think that means? Do you think Jesus just sits up in heaven and just hits a spotlight? Okay, turn a spotlight on right there. No. No. He says, okay, you know what? You know what, let, let, me, let me call up Shannon because she's in proximity to this and she's my light. I'm going to call up Shannon and I'm going to send her over to this person. And it's going to expose the darkness in that person. And hopefully that person repents. Hopefully that person comes to know the Lord. But it's going to expose the darkness. Who do you think he uses? He uses us. He uses his bride. So his bride cannot be afraid to speak. Now, now, by the way, I'm not saying go out and look for things wrong. It's important to be led by the Holy Spirit. Because if you just look for things wrong, you're not going to be effective either. That's what legalism does. They look for things wrong, but they're too afraid to go out and do it. They just come within their their walls and then they speak out. Yeah, we'll put this letter out. We'll put this brochure out telling people how horrible they are. (laughs) You know, I'd have a little more respect for one in legalism that lives in the projects. That lives next door to a brothel and goes over there and just... Tells them how much Jesus loves them. See, we can't be afraid. We can't be afraid. What, what can, what can they do to us? Seriously. I mean, I, I love, I love what I think it was Peter, it might have been Paul, but basically, you know, what, what are you going to do? Threaten me with he- heaven? You know, if, it, yeah, it was Paul. Paul said, you know, to, to die is gain. Right To stay here and, and do God's will is awesome. But to die, seriously, I, I get to be with him forever. What kind of a threat is that? And, and trust me, this has been through my mind a lot. With, with what the Lord has shown me, things that I'll deal with in, in the future, it's gone through my mind a lot. Okay, so let's really think about this, Lord. Let's say I did have to die for you. Let's really think about that. I get to be with you when it's all over with. And, okay, let's say, let's say dying takes three minutes. Say it takes five minutes. Say it takes 30 minutes. And then I get to be with him. You know, when you think about it logically, it doesn't make sense. I'll endure any pain to be with him for eternity. But see, when you're focused on the pain, you'll never see the eternity. It'll always be, I can't deal with the pain. How do you think Jesus felt that night? By the way, if you don't think he knew what was about to happen, you're kidding yourself. He knew exactly what was about to happen. That's why he said, "Yeah, Lord, I just need to let you know what my will is. <laughs> just in case I could, you know, like change your mind. He knew what he was going to face. And it wasn't, I mean, think about it. It wasn't just the dying on the cross. It was the beating. It was the betrayal. It was the standing before the court with with people lying about you and your closest friends leaving you. And yet, it was love that kept him on that pathway. It was... Love for his friends that betrayed him. See, they were the first to receive the Holy Spirit. When Jesus rose from the grave and he saw his disciples for the first time and, and he blew into their face and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. That's who he did it for. Because he had relationship with them and he wanted relationship with them. So I encourage you discern the times. Recognize the windows of opportunity. You may not always be able to recognize the timing of them. That's why I said you've got you to just be ready. But you can recognize the opportunity. We knew that there would be an opportunity to see the governor. We just didn't know when, and we had to be ready. It's the same application in your life. You know God will have opportunity for you to be obedient and to step in his will. You just may not know the timing of that step. Don't fret about the timing. Timing's on him anyways. Just spend your efforts and your energy building relationship with Him every day because that's how you're not going to miss the window. Don't miss the window. Let's pray. Father, we worship You. We praise You. We thank You for Your love. We thank You for Your grace, Your mercy. God, I thank You for windows of opportunity. I thank You, God, that... You have our entire life planned out with each of those windows in specific strategic places that will enhance our relationship with you through that obedience and will enhance how you are able to use us. Father, we know the windows are there. Give us patient endurance to wait and not be distracted when those opportunities come available. Because they don't stay open long. And Lord, I pray for your bride right now. That your bride begins to understand this, this open door that none can close but Jesus. Jesus. And it is the opportunity for the bride to become readied. Father, we worship you. We praise you. I thank you that relationship with you is your focal point. I pray that you speak to our hearts this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: What an important word. Is it on? Um, I was thinking about the, the window for ignition when he was talking. And I thought, you know, this waiting time and this readying is because the new thing that God has called ignition to is, boy, there's a readiness that has to be there to be able to accomplish the new thing. That... It's hard to imagine because it's a new thing. It's, it's something very, very new, what God is doing with the remnant. And one example that hit me really hard as I was just listening to the... You know, we always hear about the relationship, but as it pertains to how he was talking about an open door, this is a fallible, human-only example. But when I was thinking about our marriage and... With a smile. Yes. When I first was getting to know... Greg at the beginning um the, one of the first times that I met him um we ended up having this really long conversation and we were both very verbal so we wanted to kind of find out commonalities you know when i think back at there was there was a, an obvious attraction but then we wanted to kind of get to know where we were like minded and and everything else we also knew we were both christians cuz i'd met him through his sister but you know, when I was thinking about when I was building a relationship with him in our dating time and then getting engaged, there were things about him that had I not been willing to let him be who he was as I was getting to know him rather than get to getting to know him with the parameters of how it needed to be with me. And I'm not saying that there aren't deal breakers as you're getting to know someone. But, like, finding out that he loved football, played football. Oh, well, that's, yeah, just not, I don't know. Or that he likes, you know, uh, climbing mountains, you know, from Colorado and loves the mountains. And, yeah, that's just, I don't know, that's just, I'm not good with heights. And and football's kind of violent for me. So I just, I just don't know that that's, you know, I don't, if I were to block sides of him, if there were, you know, and he, he was, in my own way, I was too, but if the very, how his animated ways of expressing himself, if I tried to squelch that, tried to control that, tried to quench that, what kind of a real relationship would we have? It'd be one-sided with a lot of limitations that would really ultimately hinder a close relationship. And, and I thought about that picture with how we are with God. You know, in our relationship, the only way we're going to be ready for that window is if we're fully accepting what God's wanting to show us about himself that we don't know. And, and I don't know why the Lord does this. I told you guys this last week. He, go, he gives me these three points in sometimes starting with the same letter. And he, he even did it just randomly for, during Greg's message. And he was like, you know, if you surrender to my salvation, to the supernatural of my ways, and then to the situations in your life, mm-hmm. that's how you're going to have this relationship. Because when when God started to reveal himself, I, could ha- I knew he had to be in control. If salvation was done. I, I was saved. And I knew that God's in control of our situations and we need to surrender our lives to our situations and our circumstances. But the supernatural was very boxed in in my upbringing. And when God started revealing himself in the supernatural, started showing me the gifts of the spirit, that I was already completely locked down to, started introducing, those were windows as well. That window when he first began to bubble in me the gift of tongues that I never wanted and had to fully surrender to, I remember thinking, okay, I had to trust that God would also be true to me as God. Because my greatest fear is what if this isn't you? What if this is some other spirit? I only gave the supernatural The credit of the supernatural to the enemy, which is what a lot of Christians do. It's like, well, if it's something crazy and manifest, you know, in in a manifestation, it's got to be the devil because, you know, God is orderly and, you know, and he he does things a certain way that I can handle. And when I, when I let go of that and let God be God, you know, that is part of our readiness. Are we letting God show himself in the wonder and the awe? You know, God is spirit. What did he say to the woman at the well? God is spirit. Those that worship me must worship in spirit and in truth. Yes, amen. And God is faithful that he will reveal himself as God. And he will reveal the enemy as the enemy if we just trust him. Yeah. Even when something crazy is manifesting. Even when something begins to introduce itself and he's showing us his supernatural side, which is who he is. Boy, don't. If you can just embrace that. When I embraced all the things, and again, I know it's a human relationship that isn't a full comparison to our relationship with God, but when I began to embrace all the things that Greg was that I wasn't, I began to grow in ways that helped, you know, and and he, the same thing with me, we began to learn and grow not only together in unity, but there were sides of me that were expanded because of who he was that I wasn't. The things that maybe maybe that I maybe wasn't as adventurous in that he was. And, and maybe areas where I was sensitive and he wasn't. And so in our relationship with God, you've got to just be completely laid out. Otherwise, you won't even recognize the window when it's coming. Yeah. And if God wants to do a new thing, then we've got to surrender fully to whatever that is. And I'll tell you, there's no such thing as a new thing without it being a supernatural thing and so oh, this is such an important word such a timely word we are right there and any hesitation any trepidation any kind of a um, uh, just an unwillingness it doesn't mean and Casey was saying this this morning in the ladies class which I thought was so profound doesn't mean you're not going to be a little cautiously nervous like she was saying sometimes the Lord is saying I know it's pitch black around you but there is a step so take it that's not that's he understands our humanity. Yeah. But when we say, okay, Lord, I'm a little nervous. Help me in my unbelief. But I'm going to take that step. Yes. I'm going to take that step. And yes, it's darkness. But if it's the enemy, I know you're going to show up and tell me who's the enemy and who's you. Yeah. Because, But I'm going to trust you. I'm on that supernatural highway where not just you exist, but the enemy exists too. But I'm going to trust you to show up. Yeah. Because if I ask you for bread, you're not going to give me a stone. Amen. So That's trust right. him. Let go of the boxes of religion, which is essentially form without power is really what it is. We, we want the power. We want the power of God. And so I'm excited. Uh, and I'm, I'm cautiously like, Lord, sometimes you overwhelm me when he begins to show me his presence and his power and, and the way it affects my body and the, the shakes and the new things that are happening when I'm experiencing his presence. Just, it's like, okay, this isn't what I know before, but, but God, if this is you, bring it bring it. I want it. Like have that kind of attitude. It's exciting. Thank you. Worth listening to again, I hope, and especially with all the scriptures. So praise God for that. Um, I'm going to just give you one quick.